earlier today, I had a long conversation with uh, Robert Ferry, who is an author, psychologist, and someone who has been working for many years with the phenomenon of synchronicity, those meaningful coincidences that happen in our lives, which seem to be suggesting something to us, telling us something. Uh, Robert has some new, refreshing ideas about this phenomenon. He tries to approach it from a more scientific perspective. He tells us in this episode uh, some interesting stories uh, from, from his study of synchronicities. And then we carry on a discussion about the nature of the phenomenon, the ontological aspects uh, behind this phenomenon, what it is, what it means, what it can teach us, and potentially how it can change our future and, and, and our history as a society and, and as a culture. I think you've enjoyed this episode. Um, I've had certainly a lot of fun talking to Robert, and I hope you have a lot of fun joining into our conversation. Robert, I was wondering if we could start by you introducing yourself a bit, talking about yourself, your interests. Sure. Uh, I, uh, my day job is I teach a spiritual path called A Course in Miracles. I don't know if you are familiar with A Course in Miracles at all. I, I know the name. I, I'm not familiar with the, the contents, no. Okay. Uh, as a young person, I had wanted to go into a career in philosophy, mainly philosophy of mind. And on the way to that, um, I got derailed. Um, things happened in my life that looked to me like I experienced them as like a plan barging into my life and, and setting it in a different direction. And I ended up... Uh, teaching A Course in Miracles, and I've been doing that for nearly 30 years. Uh, I started out, um, I began life in church, uh, Presbyterian, and then in my teens I, I decided I didn't know if I believed all that and didn't know why I should believe all that and, and went on my own search. Uh, in my late teens I began reading around in a lot of different areas that I'm sure are all familiar to you psychology, comparative religion, phenomenology of religion, mysticism, etc. And uh, I came to the conclusion, which I, I still think is true, that that there was there was compelling evidence for reality being different than I've been told, because it seemed to me that when different people from different cultures and time periods somehow had a glimpse beyond the veil of the physical what they glimpsed was too similar to just be explained away. Mm. And so it seemed to me it ne either needed to be hardwired, basically some kind of hallucination hardwired into the brain for some reason, or it was true, more or less. And I decided that there were, there were reasons for thinking it wasn't just a hallucination, that people were in touch to some degree with reality. And that, that started my, my spiritual journey. I eventually got into this career that I never expected um, amongst a lot of people who are, it's not a particularly intellectual scene, A Course in Miracles, um, even though the book itself is very intellectually demanding. And uh, I was pretty much holed up in that arena for many, many years until recent years where I've been branching out again to the original set of interests that got me onto the whole spiritual track in the first place. 
Um, you do have a degree in psychology, right? Somehow along that path, you got yourself. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I that was I, I decided to start in psychology rather than philosophy because I, what I wanted to do was something like philosophical psychology, not experimental psychology. Even though that was the program I was in was experimental psychology. Um, I wanted to go on and do a graduate thing that was more philosophically oriented. One of the things, well, the thing that uh, motivated our talk was what uh, Carl Jung, the Swiss uh, psychiatrist, originally right, called right. synchronicities, which right. you call conjunctions of meaningfully parallel events, and you have a more articulate, uh, yeah. more formal definition of that, which we will get into uh, later on. And but you're uh, one of the few to get that term right. <laughs> <laughs> and I did some homework to get it right. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But you've experienced, well, I'll stick to the term synchronicities because it's better known and, and it's shorter. Um, you have experienced synchronicities yourself your whole life, right? Could, could you share some of those experiences uh, with us? I started when I was 16. And maybe I'll tell a bit of that story. I, uh, I was starting to think about things seriously and write my thoughts down. Uh, starting to wonder, you know, what was real and, and what I should believe in. And at that time, I, I had had a best friend for like 10 years or more, but I was, I was feeling kind of pent up because I, I couldn't share these thoughts I was having with him. Mm. And uh, that, that wasn't our relationship and that wasn't his interests. Uh, and, so, and I also didn't have a girlfriend which uh, was not a happy situation for me. Uh, and so um, what happened was I had really wanted to go see, this is 1976, I wanted to see the remake of King Kong, which I, I loved the 33 movie. And uh, so I thought my, my best friend would go with me. And the night in question, he didn't want to go. So I asked somebody else, another person to go with me, uh, who I'd known for many, many years in school. And he did. And we went, um, and it was a real turning point because oddly enough, my old best friend and I never did anything together again. We never said anything, and we still lived, you know, three doors down from each other. But we never did anything. We, we, we our friendship kind of ended at that point without anything being said. And my friendship with this other guy um, began, and we became best friends for many years, and and uh, did a lot of work together. Okay, so that was my end. Um, it turns out um, I, I knew a girl from church, and on her end, she had this really parallel thing going on. She had been plan she had been feeling pent up with the person that she was with. Um, her boyfriend was very, very controlling, mm. um, and she had been planning a special event, just like I had been. She was going to throw a party mainly because he was out of town and she wanted the freedom to do what she wanted to have her friends over and so on. That was her chance. Uh, that was her chance, yeah. Uh, and at the last minute, she found out that he was not going to be out of town. His plans had changed. He was going to be there. So she told him to come to the party. Uh, and while there, she um, confessed to him that she planned this without him and she ended the relationship. And this was the same night. She's ending the relationship 
at the same night that, that at the same time that my movie started and and then she had these you know plans to to contact me and basically she asked me out within a few weeks hmm. um, and we went on to get married and have two kids so what happened for both of us was we we were feeling pent up in our relationship um, we we planned this special event um, at which our primary relationship partner with, with her boyfriend with me a, a male friend um, had a particular role either to show up or not show up um, and at the last minute that person sort of blows their role and does the opposite um, and that ends up for one reason or another spelling the end of the relationship and leaving open for the beginning of another relationship um, and we didn't find all this out until we got together my new relationship with this new best friend and her relationship with me they ended up being extremely important over many many years to come so it's it just gave me the feeling like something new and I didn't really have a lot of curiosity about what that something was and didn't have any any thoughts about it it just seemed like something new that that particular night at about eight o'clock was this nexus yeah. at which our lives you know long-term patterns in our lives would permanently change and basically the, the the content of the change was not just new people but these were new kinds of relationships in which we were able to yeah. be more ourselves how, how could they have chosen that nexus that ended up being such a major turning point for everyone involved yeah 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 what is the most spectacular case of synchronicity, Robert, that you have ever either experienced yourself or seen happen? One example that's, that's easy to tell and it's a striking example is uh, a number of years ago um, with the organization that I head up as a Course in Miracles teaching organization. We, uh, we were contemplating uh, starting embarking on a particular publishing project that we were going to you know, go, go more full on with than we usually do, which is not very much. Uh, and so we, we, were, we were having a discussion about this and uh, my future wife was part of that discussion, who's my wife now, and she had gotten inner guidance that was very striking. And in her inner guidance, which she shared, in her inner guidance, she saw us forming what she called a chain gang. Um, but it's not actually a chain gang, it's, it's um, I realized in the meeting it's what you call a bucket brigade. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's where you, you know, you're trying to put a fire out. Yeah, and and <laughs> um, you're passing the buckets of water along a, a chain of people. Um, and and what, what her guidance was, was that we needed to form a bucket brigade for the sake of this publishing project. Our organization has, has historically been one, it's quite small, um, it's historically been one in which everyone's kind of doing their own thing and it's very loosely coordinated. But the idea that everybody would, would sort of leave that mode of doing their own thing and join together um, and form this bucket brigade where we all did the same thing toward one end to get this particular book out um, that was 
that was a real change of mode for us. And so we're talking about this and thinking, yeah, it sounds interesting. Should we do that? Um, you know, can we pull that off? And right while we're talking about this, we heard in an adjacent room the sound of like water pouring. And we rushed into the room and found that this was in a, a downstairs um, room. And it was our, our shipping room where we shipped out, you know, books and stuff to people who ordered them. We found that there was a line of water cascading through the ceiling. It was an unfinished ceiling. And it turned out, we found out in a little while, that there was a washing machine repairman who was right above that. And he was trying to fix the washing machine. He did something wrong. And this water just started pouring onto the floor. But that floor was the ceiling of the room down below. Yeah. And so now it's pouring through the ceiling. And so what happened was the whole house mobilized. There were people in the meeting. And there were people upstairs in the office. Everyone left what they were doing. And we were dealing with this, with this mess. And the only thing to do was right next to where the water is pouring through in this line was a, a, a big stack of plastic buckets. Um, <laughs> and so the only thing we could do was sort of line up this stack of plastic buckets in a line to catch this falling water. Um, and then we had to clean the whole thing up and so on and so forth. And it, it was such a crisis. The only thing, we, we didn't think of anything until we sat back in our meeting and it was all cleaned up and we thought, wait, hold on. We were just talking about everyone leaving their individual tasks and mobilizing in response to a crisis. And we were in crisis. We were in a financial crisis, actually. Um, and, and forming this line to deal with the crisis, and it was a line of water-filled buckets. Um, and so we didn't think of any of that until the crisis was over, but when it was over, we thought, my God, that was so incredibly similar. And of course, it has all the classic signs of a, of a CMPE. Um, you know, it, it's got the, the proximity, the independence, it's got the parallels, yeah. and it has the, the, the relevant situation. We're thinking, you know, should we should we embark on, on on this change of mode in response to our financial crisis to put out this book? Um, and in the other event, it wasn't a, a should we, it was a we had to. Yeah. So that a, seemed like our answer. That's a compelling example. Anything else comes to your mind? Uh, I can think of another one that's fairly easy to tell problem with these is they're often long stories. Um, we can afford one long story. <laughs> okay, this, this will be not that long. Um, so uh, last summer, uh, my, my wife teaches school here in England, um, and I was doing some editing work. Um, and uh, we hadn't been talking about, you know, what she was doing in her class and what I was doing with my editing work. But in my editing work, I was editing somebody else's writing, and I was really kind of shocked by this person's use of commas. They were just almost like randomly sprinkled. Um, and so uh, I'd been having to deal with these commas. 
And I just happened to come across an article in, online in the New York Times this morning, and it was about commas and about how to use them appropriately. And it, it focused on this thing called, that I've never heard of, called the comma splice. And it basically was putting a comma in um, when you really needed something else to go in. Um, like a period or a colon or a dash. And it gave examples of comma splices, which were inappropriate, and then how to fix them with a period or a comma or a dash. And I thought, hey, this is great. And so I sent um, this article out to some people who are connected with the editing work I was doing and said, you got to read this. It's great. It's, you know, it's a good solution to the problem. And um, one of the people I sent that to was my wife. So when she got home a few hours later, she immediately called up to me and said, I think I just had a sign. And it's, we, we call CMPE signs. It's very informal and nobody else calls them that because it's, it just doesn't, it's too general to fit this thing, but that's what we call it. Um, and I said, what? And so she then tells me this story. Um, she has been having to review the writing of her students in an English class. And she's been appalled by their use of commas. <laughs> and so she had gone online and found this document, a worksheet that she could give her to her class. Um, and it was about, the worksheet was about splices in general, but half of it was about the comma splice, which she'd never heard of. Um, and basically it gave examples of comma splices, which are always, I guess, wrong. And then it gave examples of how to fix them with a period, with a colon, and with a dash. And she had then handed this out to her students to use that morning within about, I think, 30 or 40 minutes from when I had passed my document out. Um, and <laughs> it was just spectacular. You know, how specifically similar. Very specific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm hot on the specificity. I, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's that combination of specificity, numerous items, and them all hanging together in one story that just makes you think, this can't be chance. Scientifically, it's very hard to make that call because, you know, for science to, to, to make a call, it's not chance. You have to have a repeatable event. So you collect the statistics, and once you're yeah. far enough from normal deviation, three sigma, five sigma from, from nom uh, nominal, then you can say, well, I, it, 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 the chance that this is pure chance is very low. Uh, but with synchronicities slash CMPEs slash signs, they aren't repeatable. The, each one of them is one of a kind. You can't repeat the experiments to get the same result. In other words, to get the same coherent story, the same signs again and again and again until you can say this isn't chance. Um, but that in a way illustrates in my mind more a limitation of the scientific method than an ontological thing about reality. Because these examples are striking and we cannot close our eyes to that, whether we can scientifically declare them to not be due to chance or not. Yeah, and it depends on how we define science and how narrowly. I mean, a lot of science, there, there, there are things that don't repeat. Supernovas, you know, supernovae don't repeat. They just happened. They, you know, they, so I think that there are things out there in nature that we can't set up in an experiment and repeat at will. Um, 
But I think that the scientific method itself, if we define it broadly enough, I think it covers this. I do think it's an unfortunate thing that I don't personally think we can measure the probabilities involved here. I think it's too complicated. Um, I, I, I wish we could. And I have toyed with some ways of doing that, that that may measure them sort of in a minimalist way. Um, but I don't think we can get very exact just because it's all too subjective. How do you yeah. how do you calculate them? It's impossible. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, however, um, one thing that really helps me with this is, like I said, different instances will often revisit the same situation over and over again. Um, and sometimes even on the same date in different years. And because of that tight similarity between different CMPEs, at some point um, you pass, I think, a, a threshold where your mind cannot imagine them being random. You mentioned one example in your article in the Psychiatric Annals, this article that Robert wrote, mm -hmm. and uh, at the end you you describe, it's not too lengthy, but you describe a very interesting event of a CMPE, a synchronicity, involving two translators. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Could you tell yeah. a little bit about that? that I, I thought that was a very interesting example. Yeah, that was um, from one of the participants in our study. Uh, and he was pre preparing for a class he would be teaching in a few months uh, here in England. And he was reading a, a new, uh, it was, I need to refresh my memory, but it was a, a new sort of collection of, of Shakespeare's. That's correct. Okay, it was an updated version of Hamlet. And uh, this was being edited by a scholar, and he was doing detailed footnotes on both the meaning of certain words and on um, editing decisions that he had to make through analyzing multiple versions, because there isn't just one one version. Um, and uh, so he's trying to, to, to bring all the scholarship to bear in a really authoritative uh, version of Hamlet while making it accessible to the reader. Um, and then very shortly afterwards, um, this person uh, gets, he gets, uh, an email from a friend who I believe was was doing a new translation of the Gospel of Thomas um, and and this person was asking for feedback on these footnotes that he was doing which were very very similar kinds of footnotes um, you know they were about explanation of terms and, and, and passages but also about editing decisions um, and interestingly in in the first event when my friends going through the uh, the, the the Hamlet version, he was thinking, you know, these, these footnotes are very extensive, but actually I'm finding them quite helpful. And in the email, he's being asked, well, what do you think about these footnotes? Yes. Are they too extensive? Are they too intrusive? <laughs> that was pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, so um, it was a great example because not only did it have the really noticeable specific parallels, but there was a whole parallel kind of context in that um, the reasons for the footnotes were parallel, and the books in which they were occurring had a lot of parallels between them. And so there's a whole collection of parallels there. Uh, what I found striking about that was not only the number of parallels, but the specificity 
It was very specific. It was a, a it, it's not something that happens every day that two people are, are translating classic classic texts and, and, and discussing the usefulness of the footnotes and what the footnotes should do. And, and that comes together so nicely. So the fact that it's so specific, not only the number of parallels, but so specific, that's what uh, got my attention on that. Still, Robert, if, uh, if I were... I can imagine that a skeptic uh, at this point would say, well, you know, the human brain is wired to recognize patterns. That's, that's mm -hmm. what we evolved to do uh, mm -hmm. for survival reasons. So we will see patterns everywhere. We will see faces in the clouds. We will see the Virgin Mary in, in moldy bread. Uh, we will see patterns everywhere. And, and, and life yeah. is so rich in events, so full in things that could lead the brain to see patterns. That it's no surprise at all that we see them even if they are merely by chance. What would you say to that in, in the case of synchronicities, CMPEs? Uh, my first response would be, amen. Uh, I, I personally think that most of what we call synchronicities, I think is just that. I think it's us seeing patterns, connecting dots that aren't really connected. Um, so I'm actually quite skeptical of most synchronicity. And you have to remember, uh, you know, I run in spiritual circles um, where people are really into synchronicity. So I hear a lot of stories. And, and I find most of the stories uh, ranging from unimpressive to mildly disturbing. Um, <laughs> Because all kind of significance is being poured into what looks to me like exactly what you're talking about. And as a psychologist, that uh, worries you, right, when people start projecting like that? As a human being, it worries me. Um, you know, one story that comes to mind is I heard somebody sharing in a, in a group that I was running um, about how he had been on, on a retreat and he had... Before he left the retreat, he had seen something on the ground, he picked it up, and it was a little plastic butterfly. And for some reason, he just felt like he should keep that with him, rather than chuck it in the trash. I don't know why. So, so some, sometime later, a couple weeks later, he's with a woman that he's just met, and it's feeling like a promising relationship. And he's in her bathroom, and he notices that the wall is covered with that the wallpaper is butterflies and he gets he the penny drops and he thinks ah this is why i kept that butterfly and i'm thinking you know butterflies are everywhere if if you keep a butterfly plastic butterfly in your pocket you're going to be coming upon butterflies in your life within the next days weeks months it's then up to you to draw some significant connection between those that is probably entirely your projection and yet it's going to influence your decisions in your life and i i do find that kind of disturbing because it just it seems like at that point you're like you're like a ship with just the wind blowing you wherever so you see synchronous i'll keep on using this term again because it's uh, it's shorter and people are more familiar with it but you see synchronicities as as a objective event. It, so it, you depart from the Jungian notion here, because the Jungian notion is that uh, it is as much an internal event, 
it, it is as much a projection of meaning as it is an empirical event. It's a collision of the two. But based on what you just said, uh, I, I interpret that as you having an ontological interpretation of synchronicities as something objective, not causal, but objective in, in the empirical world outside. Yeah, yeah, because I think that I, I think that if if you have that numinous sense about some conjunction of things, I think that can be two different things. I do think that that sense you have can be can be sort of some greater wisdom inside your mind, perhaps alerting you to a meaningfulness there that is is valid for you. Um, but I've also seen too much of the other, not just witness in other people, but in myself, where something just had that feeling of this means something. And as time carried on, it was clear that it meant nothing and that that feeling really misled me. So I actually started out and I, I did promise to say more about my journey and then I didn't, but I, I did start out exactly like what you're talking about, where anything goes. Um, and experience narrowed me and narrowed me and narrowed me because if you remember those big feelings you had around seeing the butterflies and then history of, you know, goes on, oftentimes that experience looks terrible in hindsight. Hmm. How do you see then synchronicities, CMPEs, ontologically? What do you think it is? It's, it's not causality, but it's empirical. How do you see that? Is it a parallel axis in the way things are connected in nature? Well, I feel like before we talk about, you know, interpreting the phenomenon, I probably should say a bit more about the phenomenon. Sure. Um, so, and I'll, I'll just give a really short version of my history with it, um, because without that, it all looks a bit arbitrary. Um, so my history was, you know, I started noticing things at about 16, and, and then over time, I would I'd notice more, and I'd keep this collection in my head, but after about 10 years, I started writing things down. Um, and after about 20 years, I started writing every single one down. And that's been, it's been 35 years plus since then. Um, and what happened was, even though I started out very loose and willing to read significance into almost anything, I slowly got more and more narrow with life experience, but also as a particular phenomenon started to shake out of, of a real chaos of different things that probably could be classed in different ways. And, and what happened was after about, you know, 20 years or so, this particular phenomenon was pretty well in view, but it took a long time and it took more like 30 years to really be clearly in view because I, I was operating without just with my own personal experience to go on. Um, there isn't other work that I've found that relates to this. Um, and so this, the phenomenon that slowly emerged from, from that fog um, ended up being extremely specific, but only based on experience. And, and, and the, the components which you know are, are this, that you need at least two events, sometimes um, there can be as many as eight events, but that's extremely rare. It's most of the time it's two events um, that for all appearances are independent. Mm -hmm. So that, um, you know, 
For instance, if in our previous example, this person was reviewing Hamlet, this, this new version of Hamlet, and then that reminded him of this, this new translation of the Gospel of Thomas, those aren't independent. Right. So you need the events to, to, to really appear independent, even uh, uh, under scrutiny. Um, so there's two independent events uh, that occur within 12 hours from each other. And, and that, again, is based on observation. In fact, very, very few are more than five hours apart. Um, in my experience, about 60% are within a half hour of each other. And then most of the rest are within five hours. And just a few are, are you know, within the, in between five hours and 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So 12 hours at the outside. They have to be, you know, within that time frame. Then they have to be strikingly similar. And, and, and much of the test comes into, in with the degree of similarity. Um, and the similarity is measured, as we've been talking about, by the parallels. Um, the parallels are objective features that are in both events. Um, and you need a lot of them. It, 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 the, the minimum is four, and it can be as many, as I said, as 30. But the average is about eight or nine, and that's a consistent average that I've measured again and again and again. Um, and the parallels can't be unrelated. They have to basically be parts of a single story. And that's really the defining feature of the phenomenon, where you have two events close together in time that just happen to share a whole story between them. And that's, that's kind of the observable bare bones of the phenomenon. So, relating that to the ontology of the phenomenon, do you see this as part of physics? An undiscovered part of physics? I don't think so. Um, the reason is, and to go on to discuss the phenomenon a little bit more, the reason is, is that it's consistently aimed at uh, relevant situations in our lives. Okay, or in the life of somebody that we know. Sometimes it seems aimed at their situation. Um, for instance, with the, with the Hamlet example, um, that seemed aimed at the, that seemed like an answer to the question of the, the person who sent him the Gospel of Thomas and said, what about these footnotes? Are they too much? Um, but generally, it's clear that there's a situation in your life um, that usually figures into one of the two events um, and that you, is usually up for you. You have a question about it, you have a need associated with it, you um, have had just had an insight about it or made a decision about it, there's something really relevant about it. And then the relationship between the two events will tend to frame your relevant situation in a certain way. So the decision looks like it's confirmed, or the question looks like it's answered. And to me, that characteristic, which is really consistent, uh, has to be taken into account in that when you get a lot of them, over time, I think the feeling is inescapable that it's like something is trying to tell you things. Something, someone, there's no signature, um, but they're, An intelligence. They're, 
something intelligent because uh, it looks like this thing has like your interests in mind and is trying to get you to go places that that are in your best interests. And another really defining characteristic is that they're, they're almost never one-offs. If, if you get one on a situation one time, you can almost be certain that situation will get revisited again and again. And sometimes it will get revisited on the same date in subsequent years. Um, oftentimes the same kind of symbols will be used, the same sorts of events will be used. There's a really close and intimate relationship among different instances of the phenomenon. Do you think it is us doing this through means that we haven't yet discovered? Or is it being done to us? That's a really great question. And I think, I think that's probably the question. Because um, for a lot of years, I sort of assumed, I wasn't that interested actually in an explanation for most of this time, because I just thought it's useful. It, they seem to know more than I do, so why not just make use of it? Um, but my main thought was, well, I think it must be something in my unconscious that I'm not in touch with that knows things useful for me and somehow can pattern events in my life to communicate those things. Hmm. And over time, I drifted away from that. Um, and I, I do think that explanation stretches the data a bit. Um, and the main reason is that I found that, uh, you know, I've had a lot of instances of these that are not mine, that involve friends or colleagues. Um, and what I found is that different if we're part of one situation, I can have a CMPE and you can have one and they can be uncannily coordinated. You know, both in meaning, in, in the forms they take, the symbols they use, and even in time. Um, they can happen independently at the same, on the same day. Um, so it seems like this comes from something that transcends the individual and it may be a kind of a collective unconscious. So it's still um, us, but a version of us that we are not used to thinking about, right? A, a broader yeah. us. Yeah, and I think, I think if you say it's something in us, you have to, I think, broaden that to something that transcends the individual or you have our unconsciouses coordinating in a committee-like fashion which I think could be, but it's not a very, as, as you are, are, as you often say, it's not a very parsimonious explanation. <laughs> no. But that, that raises um, another question, uh, Robert, I think. Um, because if it is us, well, with a broad definition of what being a human being means, uh, if we throw in the term collective unconscious and all that, if we grant validity to that aspect of the mind that transcends the ego, um, if it is us, then this us somehow overlaps with empirical reality because synchronicities are happening in empirical reality. And the question it then raises is, what is the relationship between our unconscious 
may be our collective unconscious, an empirical reality, such that synchronicity of CMPs can be operationalized in empirical reality. Are we talking about the same thing? Is empirical reality fundamentally just an unconscious part of us generating the dream? Well, I, I personally do believe that. Um, and I know you do as well. I don't really bring that into this phenomenon just because I feel like it's not required. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't want to get too far afield from the data itself. On the other hand, now that you mention it, it, this phenomenon does kind of bring up that question. You know, how is it that something, and, and I, I've actually, I don't, I no longer hold to the collective unconscious theory. Um, I did for many years or, or thought that was probably the best one. But um, if we do say there is this collective unconscious that's generating these, it does raise the question of, well, how does it, how does it influence empirical reality? So yeah, how, right. how do you see it? Forget the, the collective unconscious and, 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 and the idealist position. How, how would you frame it today? How, how, how do synchronicities happen in, in an a-causal way? Well, I don't use the word a-causal. I don't, I don't actually like that word. Um, I, I, I think something's causing this. Um, I, I just don't think it's, the, it's normal causation. It's not the normal thing where, you know, I, I move stuff around and I make it happen. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I've never even understood exactly what you meant by a-causal. Um, anyway, I do think something's causing this. And what happened for me is I started thinking of this as something in my unconscious that perhaps was in touch with the plan, quote unquote, for my life. Because, because with the number of years um, involved with this phenomenon, it was clear to me that the phenomenon thinks, again, quote unquote, in terms of my life having a plan. Um, there were supposed to's involved. But do you see then as, let, let's talk about the agent behind the phenomenon, so we keep it, uh, we yeah. keep it broad. Do you I'm see, getting there. <laughs> do you see that agency as having causal effectiveness on empirical reality? In other words, being able yeah, to I manipulate do. things and events? Sure, yeah, I do. So it's a parapsychological yeah. thing. You see it as a parapsychological phenomenon. I basically do. Um, and what happened was this. I, I, I started thinking in terms of, well, there's something in my unconscious that's in touch with the plan for my life, because there clearly was a plan based on what these CMPEs communicated. And as I did that, I started having CMPEs that basically said, this is God's plan and this is God. So you in see that agency as the divinity, the divinity itself? I do, and, and it's really because they pushed me in that direction again and again over the years. It, it, because there's no signature, it didn't seem, it, I just didn't go there in my mind. But as I started in that direction, sort of vaguely, because the plan's got to come from somewhere, um, they started reinforcing and coming out very clearly in that direction. And actually, I find that, that my intellectually oriented you know, uh, synchronicity colleagues in this respect, people I've, I've met, you know, in the synchronicity realm, um, they don't like the fact that I go there, um, or they at least, you know, keep that at arm's length, but, 
but I've learned to trust the phenomenon, and and that's where it goes. So, I, I like this 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 subject. I like where we are going with this because we are beginning to touch something that in, 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 is in a lot of people's minds. If we don't just stay at the level of words, because we are using words here that are that, that have very ambiguous meaning, like uh, God and agency. If we try to go one level below that and try to deconstruct that and see what we really mean, in what way do you intuit that a divine agency influencing the empirical world through causal means differs from a collective unconscious that influences reality because it actually is the agency that generates reality as a dream? What is the difference between the two if we try to go below word, beyond words? Well, I guess that gets into how I personally see those, those different concepts, because I do believe in both. Um, I would see God as more, as, as more of the sort of the parent or source agency in relation to the collective unconscious. Um, that's how I see those two different terms. So, so the divinity is not the collective unconscious, it is the source of the collective unconscious, so to say. That's right? how so, I personally would see that, yeah. So there is a second person relationship, not a first person relationship. In other words, the collective unconscious is not the mind of God. It is something that is created by God. Yes. I mean, we're getting into sort of my own personal spiritual beliefs because I don't know if you can, you can ferret this out from CMPEs. Um, but yes, that's what I, be I believe that there is a kind of paradoxical second and first person relationship there. Second and first person at the same time. Yeah, I think on that level, um, you know, some of our distinctions kind of break down. But I do think it's not just first person. I, I find this extremely interesting. Could you talk a little bit about that? How? do we resolve this paradox of first and second person at the same time without contradiction? Because I intuit that as well, and I wonder yeah. how you would put that in words. Well, you know, it, it, in this subject we are going, I think, off the map of CMPEs. That's okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, for me, uh, you know, I, as, as I think it's the same with you, I've, I've gathered my concepts of things from my own process of, of what sources can be trusted and what do they say and how do I resolve tension between them and so on. Um, you know, my, my primary spiritual authority is my spiritual path, of course, in miracles. Um, but uh, I, also, I also think that it, it can't be true unless it jives to some degree with other things that have a good pedigree and, and look authoritative. Um, I put a lot of stock, for instance, in near-death experiences. Um, I think that there's something quite compelling about them for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and in, in just looking at those two sources, both of them, um, to me, uh, seem to talk about a creator who is who who stands in a second-person relationship with, we'll say, its creation, we could say his or her or whatever, um, and at the same time is one with that creation, so that creation is, is inherently part 
of the creator and shares the creator's being, yet is it still a creation? And and uh, that paradox, I feel, I've observed in all kinds of places that to me carry a certain amount of weight. One thing I used to think uh, years ago, I was much younger, but um, I was exposed, of course, as a Westerner to, 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 the, to, to the Christian view of, of creation. And I was always thinking, you know, if in the beginning there was only the Word, if there was only God and God created the world, where were the raw materials? Because the raw materials would have to be created. And then it immediately raises the question, what were the raw materials to create the raw materials? So you have an infinite request <laughs> and you end up with yeah. the logical necessity that the raw material was the divinity itself. Yeah. So the creation is the created fundamentally, and if you don't grant that, you end up in infinite regress. That, that was my juvenile thinking about this, which, which brings up again the first and second person contradiction immediately, because it is a creation, so it's a second person relationship, but it's yeah. created out of the agent of creation, so it's a yeah. first person relationship as well yeah. at the yeah. same time. I think that was, that was remarkable for juvenile thinking. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was a little nuts. <laughs> um, your own approach to CMPs, you you already discussed uh, a little bit uh, a little bit about that. You you explained the criteria that you need a number of parallels that they need to be truly independent. Uh, there is a scale and even even a score of uh, meaningfulness uh, for those. Parallels, they have to fit into a coherent storyline. You talked about all right. that, right. Um, but you go beyond. You you have a scoring table. Uh, you have qualification and disqualification criteria for CMPEs. You really try to put objectivity around that, uh, right? Can can you talk a little bit about it? Well, um, that's because. Having worked with the phenomenon for a long time, I could see that they were very regular patterns. Um, they are. This is not just any sort of synchronicity. It's a very specific kind of synchronicity, and you see the same sorts of things over and over and over again. And so what I realized was that, um, you know, it it's all quite measurable. Uh, it's it's not measurable in the sense, you know, it's not physics, it's not chemistry. Um, but there is quite a measurable dimension to it. And actually, the, the CMPEs themselves really pushed me in that direction with the idea of doing a scientific study. Um, and, with the, and once we did it, um, really pushing, do more measurement, more quantification. Um, they seem to really like the idea of, of measuring the phenomenon. Now, if I, I'll play a little bit uh, an opposition role uh, to, sure. to try to bring sure. out as much as possible uh, from you. Um, isn't this, to some extent, a cloak of, of objectivity, of apparent objectivity, surrounding a phenomenon that is fundamentally subjective? For instance, the scoring table is subjective, somewhat arbitrary. How many points you give depending on certain criteria is it, it's a it's a it's a upfront choice. You could have chosen something differently. The qualification criteria, uh, you could have chosen different qualification criteria. And, and even the judgment of whether a certain CMPE f 
onto which category and onto which amount of points it falls. That's itself a judgment call. So aren't we just putting a, a, a dress of objectivity around something that is and remains fundamentally subjective? Well, I think that's those questions have to be raised. Those are those are central core questions here. Um, I don't I don't think the answer is yes though. Uh, unfortunately, there is subjectivity involved. Um, you know, we can't get rid of that. Um, how do you divide the parallels and so on? Um, what I'll say is the criteria that were, you, you did raise a few different kinds of subjectivity or, or areas. The criteria that were chosen, that's based on observation of the phenomenon itself. Um, so th that's grounded in tons of examples. Um, how to draw lines, like how to score particular things, you know, um, that's a bit subjective. I think it's, it is helped by the more experience you have with the phenomenon. And so we did have three scorers that all had extensive experience with the phenomenon. And I think that's why our scores were so similar. Um, a good analogy, I think, is think about uh, trying to diagnose, say, a, a physical illness or a mental illness, or even create a category for a new physical illness or a new mental illness. There's hot debate about those things. Um, you know, are, are those categories valid? Even though there's debate, though, about them, I don't think we want to dispense with the notion of physical illness or mental illness. There are things that are clusters of symptoms. Mm. Um, those symptoms do tend to recur together um, across into different individuals. And so even if there's some subjectivity involved, and even if there might be debate about where to draw lines, um, we can see there's something there. Uh, and I think the same thing applies here. Um, so yeah, I don't want to just assume it's all objective, there's no subjectivity. It's not true. At the same time, um, from where I sit, I, I know based on experience there is an actual phenomenon here. I can't get around that. It is very palpable in what you write, um, that you try to take this, this subject beyond pure subjectivity. You try um, to bring it to the empirical world as an objective phenomenon, not just a psychological phenomenon, a, a projection, an attribution of meaning or, or a recognition of pattern where there may be none or where the pattern exists only in our minds. Um, from that perspective, you seem to lend more reality to the outside world than to the inner world, which is striking for a psychologist. Yeah, well, and I, I have heard objections along those very lines from Course in Miracles students. But you do yeah. grant more ontological validity to the empirical world than to the inner world. I don't, no. Um, I'm merely saying that's how this phenomenon behaves. Um, and the reason is that it has its own structure, like anything we investigate in nature. And your thoughts and feelings about that structure end up being pretty irrelevant. So you might have a spectacular CMPE pass you by unnoticed. 
you might have a big emotional reaction to a synchronicity that ends up being disqualified as being a CMPE. It's not a CMPE. Um, you might have a, an idea of what it means that is not backed up by a solid analysis of what the events actually communicate in terms of their meaning by the rules. So, all, I mean, I personally believe that the world is a dream. Um, you know, I don't believe it's, it's ultimately real, but I don't see that as being relevant to my investigation of this phenomenon. The phenomenon itself, it behaves like something where its external dimension is all important and your internal reactions are irrelevant. But the phenomenon, a fundamental aspect of the phenomenon is the meaning we attribute to it, right? Because in principle, if we don't place meaning in it, it passes us by, we don't even see it, as you said. Well, we probably have to think in terms of examples here, or discuss examples, but but the meaning, there's different levels of meaning we're talking about. One level of meaning is the message that seems to be imparted by the CMPE. That should be generated by, there's certain rules of interpretation. And by those rules, different interpreters can derive essentially the same meaning from the same CMPE. Um, so that meaning is rule-based. Uh, in terms of the meaning that we attribute to the events, it's true that that we wouldn't notice similarity between two events unless we attributed similar meaning to them. Yeah. But I think there, I think we're not going to want to abandon that. For for instance, um, let's say that uh, I I'm sent a physics textbook in the mail, and let's say within an hour of that. I see a discussion of physics on TV that is uncannily similar to what the textbook deals with. Okay? You know, beyond what you expect by chance. Now, if I had a dog that was viewing those two events, the dog would see nothing in common between them whatsoever. Okay? But are we willing to abandon that similarity just because it takes a human to notice it? There is a similarity there. I understand what you're saying. It's a gradation. I understand. You're trying to define a gradation scale, and and although you can't say exactly where the boundary is that tilts the interpretation towards something empirical, you're saying there is a boundary. Even if I can't locate it exactly, I must admit that there is a boundary after which I must acknowledge that there is an empirical phenomenon here. Yeah, I think, I think the kinds of similarities that are involved with, between the two events, it does take a human with a certain meaning structure built up over many years to notice them, but they're the kind of similarities that I don't think we want to say are not there. Yeah. Of course, the, the way out for the skeptic is always to say, well, it's just coincidence, and shrug it off and, and not see it. Yeah, and it's easy to say that. And I've, I've had you know, skeptics say that about these CMPEs. Um, but you know, I think that the mind has two mistakes that can be made here. One mistake is to see patterns where there really aren't any. And we know the mind can do that. 
But the mind can also make the other mistake, which is to dismiss patterns that are really there. And we know the mind can do that. There's all kinds of, you know, in the history of science, there are all kinds of things where people said, oh, that's, that's not a real pattern. And it was. Um, so I think to, to be vigilant for only one mistake is to leave the door wide open to the other mistake, whichever side you're on. I agree. Yeah. I, I wanted to quote to you um, a short passage from Jung's book on synchronicity, and then I'll ask uh -huh. you a question related to it, but it okay. gives a nice... Uh, it's this book, Synchronicity, and the yep. Causal Connecting Principle by Carl Jung. Yeah, I've, I've got it. I found this passage quite striking. Um, let me see uh, where exactly I should start the quote. He's talking about science and experiments as done in science, in a scientific method. And he says, the experiment, however, consists in asking a definite question which excludes as far as possible anything disturbing and irrelevant. It makes conditions, imposes them on nature, and in this way forces her, in other words, nature, to give an answer to a question devised by man. She, nature, is prevented from answering out of the fullness of her possibilities, since these possibilities are restricted as far as practicable. For this purpose, there is created in the laboratory a situation which is artificially restricted to the question and which compels nature to give an unequivocal answer. The workings of nature in her unrestricted wholeness are completely excluded. If we want to know what these workings are, we need a method of inquiry which imposes the fewest possible conditions, or if possible, no conditions at all, and then leaves nature to answer out of her fullness. So my question is, I find this passage very relevant and striking. If we try to impose the scientific method onto the study of meaningfully connected parallel events, CMPEs, synchronicities, signs, aren't we committing the very mistake that Jung is talking about? Aren't we restricting the set of conditions, compelling nature to give an unequivocal, unambiguous answer without leveraging her fullness, uh, the full potential it has to give us an answer? You know, I, I relate to what Jung said there but it strikes me as a description of bad science. Um, I think that good science, that the process he's talking about comes at the end of a, a, a long process of open-ended observation, um, after which come the questions. And then whatever you do in the lab, hopefully, does not artificially constrict the phenomenon itself. Um, so it seems to me like he's talking about a science that that is not done right. Uh, with CMPEs, that's, that was my process, what I just described, where there's a long period of kind of open-ended observation. Um, and, you know, we got we, we didn't get into the lab at all, really, ever, but, you know, we only got to a point of doing a study, um, you know, of what was happening in people's lives after, as the tail end or as the end product of that long observation. So, and we did stay, we did 
investigate the phenomenon in the wild, where it does happen. We didn't bring it into an artificial setting. Um, so I think, I guess my, my belief is the scientific method defined correctly and done right is a, is a good tool for this. My interpretation of Jung's quote is that uh, he's not questioning that. He's not saying that we should do bad science. And he's not even dismissing the scientific method. I think what he's saying, that, that's my own interpretation, is that science is not necessarily complete. In other words, that the scientific, scientific method is not the most appropriate or, or the only method to study all phenomena, that it has a certain scope and that scope is smaller than the whole of nature, that there are phenomena in nature that are not conducive to the scientific method and, and that should be approached in a, in a different way, particularly phenomena that are fundamentally subjective. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I probably would think that science can be, I mean, as a, you know, as a psych major in school and uh, involving experimental psychology, I think there is a lot that science can be done in those, a, a, lot, a lot that science can do in those subjective areas. However, um, I think we need an expanded science that can use the, the data of subjective experience. And I agree that science can't, can't cover all of nature. Um, I'm a big believer in the value of philosophy. Um, my experience is that when scientists don't take philosophy seriously, the only result is they do bad philosophy. Um, yeah. How do you think we can expand science without distorting and defacing science? In other words... In what way? If we try, In what way? if we try to make science a tool for everything, I mean, give you an analogy. If you try to turn a hammer into something with which you can tighten a screw, why to still call it a hammer and not not use a screwdriver? No, I mean, at, at what point isn't it better to say, you know what? Let's keep science integral. Let Let's keep science uh, true to what it has been and what it is honest to its own principles and if we need something else we create something else instead of trying to deface science and change the underlying core principles and, and, and values of science to make it do something it was not meant to do well it seems to me that that the basic tool which i just see as as you know gathering gathering your data very carefully, ideally quantifying it, um, you know, testing your hypotheses with that data, having a community of, of interpreters who are, you know, there to, to repeat if possible and, and, and keep you honest. Um, I think that tool has been so powerful because of the ability of our minds to, to fool themselves. Um, and, you know, we, we did talk a bit about synchronicity by email and I think I think Jung's concept is a is a good example of why science is needed in these areas um, you know I'm not a deep student of, of his concept of synchronicity I have read the book and you know I have uh, been you know involved in the arena for a while it strikes me that he had a very small database um, the stories he tells are few um, and 
onto that database, he seems to have rather quickly put the, the framework of his own psychological system with the archetypes and so on. Um, it, it seems to me that's what we, that's the kind of thing that's more theory driven than data driven that the human mind does in the absence of some approximation of the scientific method. And I think we've got to go the data driven route. I just think it works. Uh, better. Yeah, I, I, I sympathize with, with the goal. I sympathize with the thinking. But I think data driven in the case of something that is fundamentally subjective becomes a cloak of, of objectivity that that hides a methodology that remains subjective, like attributing points, scoring, classifying in a way that is not done with an instrument, in a way that is done based on personal judgment. Well, but there are other fields that we have, if, if we were going to dispense with personal judgment, there are other fields that would be, you know, really affected, like imagine the, the psychiatric field. Um, if we said, well, we've got to have a physical measurement, we, we, we can't allow personal judgment, what would happen to that field? No, they tried that, but to the extent that they don't succeed, I would claim it's not science. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's always the argument of are the social sciences, are they science? I would say they're not. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would say, I mean, I believe that we need like, like the, you know, the, there is a scientific spirit in Buddhism based on, you know, internal experience. I would call that empiricism, which is a tool of science. But not all things that are empirical need to be scientific. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I don't think that's scientific either. But I guess what I would say is that we should take the best of the scientific method, which basically, in my mind, is it's data-driven. Um, and apply that to as many things as we can while also having that be in relationship with other forms of the knowledge quest like philosophy. Um, but I just think that, that the ability of the mind to project its prior beliefs and assumptions onto the data is so vast yeah. that science has been an amazing tool for putting in check that process and having the data speak more more for itself. Keeping us honest. Yeah. I, 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 I sympathize with that a lot. Well, I, I have been a professional scientist myself for many, for many years. Right, right. Uh, so I, it, it's in fact a little difficult for me to try to antagonize you <laughs> a bit to get, out, <laughs> to get a conversation going. <laughs> um, Robert. What do you think synchronicities, CMPs, signs, what do you think they are trying to teach us? Well, I would define CMPEs as a very small subset of synchronicities, first of all. Um, I think in that larger body of synchronicities, a lot of it, I think, is, is just our own projection. There's nothing there. I think there are some very spectacular ones that are not CMPEs, but are synchronicities. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would class those, those things all very differently. So I'll just speak to CMPEs. 
my experience is they try to teach people almost anything of value. Um, I've had CMPEs. I had one um, two weeks ago that was telling my wife and I it's really important for us to make our own bread at home. Really concrete, seemingly trivial thing, something I never would expect to have heard from a CMP. I've been told to go to the dentist because I hadn't gone for a lot of years. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, they also will deal with major life decisions. Um, if you have an interest in the nature of reality, they'll deal with that. Um, they'll deal with uh, things that you need to work on in your character, um, relate anything and everything of importance in human life. My experiences, they will deal with. So the world, life itself, empirical life, is constantly trying to tell us something. It is, it is a puzzle to be decoded in a way. I, I do believe that that life is constantly trying to tell us things. And I think the value of CMPEs is they are concrete instances that I find difficult to explain away. I know people can readily explain them away, but I don't think it, the explanations to me don't take into account the whole phenomenon. They kind of cherry pick and explain certain things away. Um, to me, these look like very concrete instances in which something appears to be trying to tell us something. They seem designed as communications that take an interest in our welfare and that try to push us in certain directions for our welfare. Henri um, Corbon, a French uh, philosopher, uh, Islamic philosopher, Islamic uh, scholar, uh, from his interpretation of the Shia Islamic tradition, he came to the conclusion that uh, what that tradition was telling us is that. Uh, uh, the meaning of life is to interpret the metaphor of empirical reality and bring it back to its non-metaphorical source, bring the lessons back to what could be called heaven. Uh, but that what we should do here is basically to interpret the metaphor, and the metaphor is the whole of life. And the meaning of that metaphor would be of a spiritual nature. Uh, an ineffable spiritual nature that you can't put in words. That's why it's conveyed metaphorically. Do you think CMPEs can convey a, a quote-unquote spiritual message as well, other than what you should eat tomorrow or whether you should go to the dentist or not? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, many of them. I just had one a few days ago that had a very spiritual message. I think the messages will be more spiritual um, to the extent that the person involved has that interest. Um, they tend to respond to things that we already consider relevant. Not always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll come completely out of left field with a message that is very, you know, kind of just out of the blue. Um, but most of the time they respond to situations that we have an interest in and consider important. Um, so, you know, my spirituality is central for my life, so I get a lot of spiritual CMPEs. So it, it responds to us. We have a hand in that as well, regardless of yeah. its nature. It's like if you're talking to a child, you don't talk to a child about things that, that are above its head or have no interest to the child. Yeah. How can you 
tune ourselves, Robert, to, to pay attention to it, to be sensitive to it, to see it and not allow it to just, you know, pass us by? That's a very relevant question. I do think the the overwhelming majority of them passes by. Um, in fact, if you can believe it, uh, that that Hamlet and Gospel Thomas uh, example we talked about, the person involved didn't notice it. Um, he kind of what happens is we sort of notice it and then it just goes. Um, I was talking to him on the phone. And from listening to him, I noticed it. <laughs> yeah, um, that one was quite, was quite striking. Yeah. Yeah, and you'd think that they they wouldn't pass you by, but I've had ones pass me by that my wife notices, and we're both sitting there. Um, so my my experience is that you have to be sensitive to um, what I call the the "huh, that's weird" reaction. Because what happens is I think it, they do register. Something has just happened and maybe, you know, 10 minutes or an hour later, something very similar happens that shouldn't be similar. And your mind goes, huh. And usually you then f drop that and the whole thing passes from memory within a day or two or three. Yeah. Um, and so I've learned to really hone in on that but even i make the mistake of, of letting it pass uh, a few weeks ago um I, I i have a weakness one of my guilty pleasures is i watched this show called the mentalist um <laughs> and uh <laughs> confession here um and uh there was a show recently where he he was he i don't know if you've ever seen the show but he's he he's a guy who can sort of read behavior very sensitively and yeah. seem like he reads minds. Um, so he asked somebody, you know, think about your birthday. Um, and he was going to try to read their mind or, or read their behavior. Uh, and actually it was a trick. He, he wasn't doing that. And I thought, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it myself and just see what comes to mind. And what came to mind was the, um, the birthday of my oldest son, which was March 5th of 89. Um, and about five minutes later in the show, um, he asked the father of, of this other person he'd been talking to what this person's actual birthday was. And the father said, um, it's uh, March 5th, 1987. And I thought <laughs> March 5th, 1989. And... Um, and I paused, we had, a, we had a record, and I paused the show, and I said to my wife, that is weird. I had guessed, I had, I had the date right, but the year wrong. And I then unpaused the show, and the mentalist on the show says, well, that's weird. I had the date right, but the year wrong. <laughs> and we both looked at each other, and it was like, that was bizarre. And then we kept watching, and then a full day later, I said, to her, I said, hang on, that's got to have been a sign. <laughs> and I looked at that and there were like seven parallels and it all, it, the whole thing, the whole thing fit. And then you saw the rest. I the saw the rest. There was a whole set of parallels between, actually between, it was a whole father-son theme in the show. Mm. And there were all these parallels between 
that and and me and my son, whose birthday had been in my mind and who was whose was in the show also, um, and it was all there um, with a very interesting message that had not occurred to me. Um, but see, even I will let the moment pass without saying, "Okay, hold on, let's let's run through the system here and see how it stacks up." If let's dream, and if you could indulge me and dream along with me a little bit. Yeah. If we were all able to see the CMPs, not see patterns where there are none, not see faces on clouds or the, or the Virgin Mary on tree bark, but true CMPs, if we could all see them, if we develop this ability as a species to see the metaphors and pay attention to their meanings, all of us as, as a species on this planet, how do you think that would change our lives, uh, our future, our, our society? I think it would change everything. Everything. Um, I've talked about this a lot with my wife because because we, uh, for for us, our CMPEs uh, play a huge role in guiding our lives and our perspectives. Um, we we moved to to England from Arizona based on CMPEs. Um, we got together based on CMPEs. Um, so uh, you know they have a profoundly influential role in our lives, and you live your life differently um, when that's the case. Um, you're thinking, okay, there's a plan for things. And these events can help me get in touch with that plan, and it it does shape things quite quite profoundly. It shapes your relationships. It shapes um, what you do with your life. Uh, CMPEs tend to be very concerned about what I call your function, what your contribution is meant to be, um, who you're meant to be including in your life, um, all kinds of things. And so, uh, to me, um, if people were to notice them, take them seriously, and follow their messages, I would say there would be two big uh, results from that. One is that we would start to think, something's trying to talk to me, and there is a plan for my life, and a plan for collective life. Um, and two, we'd be then specifically following that in our individual lives with different results. Um, I, I think that in the future, and it may be a very, very distant future, um, we could be pooling them and seeing what they're saying collectively. Because in my experience, different ones for different people are coordinated. So there could even be, um, you know, for, for me, I'll, I'll say that they're most their, their most helpful examples come when I pool different ones in the same situation. Um, and so I thought extending that, what if we pooled, you know, what if we had um, different ones about uh, the same collective situation? Novel meanings would definitely come out of that, in my experience. Do you think we will come to that? Are you hopeful for this in the short-term future? I'm not hopeful in the short-term future. Um, however, what I will say is the reason I did the pilot study and the reason I'm sort of trying to, to push this phenomenon out there 
and get it on the map as a recognizable paranormal phenomenon is the CMPEs themselves really have been pushing for that. They want to be on the map. They want to be a recognizable phenomenon. They want to have some kind of contribution. Um, and so I think I, I would have left this as a, as a personal thing if it weren't for their, their pushing. Um, however, I must say that I'm not making very fast progress on, on getting it out there. So I don't know how long it's going to take, but they predict it will be out there at some point. I want to thank Robert for having done this, for having spent the time to talk to me. Um, I enjoyed it very much. I hope you did as well. And one thing that occurred to me now that uh, we've done three episodes with guests is that there is a way in which the messages of these three people come together and complement each other. And in certain ways, all three uh, were saying the same thing. And when they were not, they were saying things that reinforced one another's messages. I don't know whether you, you've noticed this. If you didn't, I would encourage you to have a look at the 10-minute digest of each episode uh, for a quick overview of what we discussed and, and compare them. And I think uh, over time, as we talk to more people, uh, as we build more, put together more pieces of, of this jigsaw puzzle, I think something will emerge here, something about the nature of being, the nature of a human being, the nature of reality. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I will see you next time.